We're sorry about the quality. Yes, apologies for the quality of this. I'll put this at the start, James. Apologies for the quality of this episode. James messed up again. I didn't mean it. <laughs> now come along and listen to us talk with the Bon Jam. Go and have a lovely little walk with the Bon Jam. Let me put it on and go to bed with the Bon Jam. Or grab yourself a slice of toast and spread with the Bon Jam. Hello and welcome to Bon Jam with me, Simon Jeffrey, and I'm joined by the corrupt Zero Bytes WAV file to my perfectly recorded audio the first time round. It's Mr. James Turner. You see, I'm still still not got over that yet, and you've brought it up again. <laughs> Thank you very much, Simon. Hello. Just to uh, fill you in at home, um, this is the second attempt at recording this episode. Well, my, uh, my file suddenly said Zero Bytes, which is... Uh... Is not what I was expecting, and I was expecting a nice, chunky bit of uh, data to be uploaded onto my computer, and suddenly it all disappeared. My initial instinct, as soon as you said that, was, oh, we've lost it then. That's it. That's <laughs> that's over. And then Google results seemed to just dangle this little bit of hope for us, that, like, oh, maybe if you check disk and you try and fix, and you... and it, oh, it was cruel. Because... A week following those dangling threads. It took. To it's taken me like a couple of months to actually come to terms with the fact that we lost that recording and yeah. that we needed to do it again. So here we are. Um, hopefully, we can still kind of a, a approach this with the same level of uh, you know analysis and spot-on observation. Even though I haven't actually rewatched the film since then, have you, James? I haven't, no, but um, it, it feels quite fresh in my mind. You know, it's uh, it's not been too long since we last watched it when we did the first recording. Excellent. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure we can uh, remember what we uh, what we saw. Good, good. So, you only there. <laughs> you only live twice is the topic of today's discussion. The fifth James Bond film in the official series. Uh, in 1967, and Sean Connery's uh, final one before he took a little break and then was convinced to return. Uh, James, can you tell me what the film is about, please? Okay, so... Um, so um, um, God, I'm trying to think. Uh, is it a Russian rocket that, goes, that gets taken first, or is it an American rocket? All right, let's, uh, let, let's just have a moment to pause and uh, regroup. <laughs> it was a Russian rocket that gets taken first, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so a Russian rocket. Look space at James rocket. thinking like I'm going to cut out all of that conversation <laughs> and acting like he got it right first time. <laughs> so a Russian rocket gets um, gets hijacked. Well, I didn't say it gets hijacked. It goes missing um, whilst it's in space. Uh, it gets uh, essentially it gets kidnapped by another rocket. Now the Americans they think, oh, you're trying to start a war by doing that, and um, but the British are like, well, actually no, we we don't think that at all. Um, the most think... British man in film history, <laughs> the most British man ever, uh, declares that they they don't believe that at all, and um, they decide to send James Bond out to investigate, and it turns out that spectre were behind it all along and they're just trying to create um, a war between these two nations um, for kicks and for giggles. And, uh... Yeah, there's not much um, extortion or revenge going on in this film. As far as the spectre mantra goes, it is purely just terrorism, isn't it? It's it, Yeah, it, yeah. Not, it doesn't seem like it's for any reason. Yeah. Just to start World War Three, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they have some sort of backup plan for like, no, not a backup plan, but like a, a second part of the plan. This is just like part A, part B. They'll probably start to do some stuff once World War Three happens. I don't know. Hide underground and giggle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've mentioned before, but You Only Live Twice was the first of the Connery Bonds that I ever saw. Mm. It was one of the first Bond films at all I saw. I think I'd only seen Tomorrow Never Dies and possibly one or two on TV very young, not knowing that they were Bond films. But this was the first one I caught on the uh, on the series of films. And I, I loved it. I watched this on video again and again and again. Um, and I think it is like the most larger-than-life cartoony 
Bond film, certainly to date at that point, but possibly even still. Like, I know people point to like Moonraker as being like where Bond jumped the shark, perhaps, but there, there, there's part of me that thinks that Moonraker is more feasible than You Only Live Twice <laughs> in certain points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is the one where everyone talks about Goldfingers being like the thing that defined the series, which it did. Uh, and I think this one took it that extra bit further, didn't it, to the yeah. fantasy world of Bond? You know, Moonraker asks you to believe that this man has built this space station somehow without anyone knowing and is going to systematically wipe out the human race and build his own new master race to populate the earth um which is pretty far-fetched but you only live twice expects us to believe that sean connery can blend in as a japanese fisherman <laughs> just uh, by putting a, a, a terrible wig on i thought i'd jump straight to the elephant in the room there james because people you know if anyone is familiar with you only live twice they are waiting for us to talk about that surely mm. uh, but you know i think maybe we should hold off we should tease that because let's work through it a little bit more systematically okay um, I always found the opening really quite gripping. Um, that opening in space. I know some of the effects are a little bit ropey now when you watch it back, but uh, especially on Blu-ray. Like I didn't notice watching them growing up on video, but like the the matte effects and the kind of composites, they sort of seem to wobble around a little bit. And yeah. but I yeah I, I I like that sequence. I think there is genuine tension and intrigue. In fact, I, I really quite like the first hour of this film in terms of the the mystery that it sets up and the kind of detective spree. A little bit like Doctor No, that Bond has to go on to kind of... He doesn't have much to go on at the start, and I kind of like those films where that's the setup. Yeah, when you've got that enigma there, you kind of just want to kind of find out more, don't you? And I think that's... Uh... And the fact that James Bond dies in that opening sequence as well. Now, we all know he's not really, really dead, but that scenario, and then it cuts to the titles, it's quite a, quite a different style of opening. Yeah, I think you definitely do want to see where it's going at that point. I think it does hook you and go like, well, I know he's not dead, but I do want to know how he's not dead. It never seemed to make sense to me as a kid watching it. I never quite understood why that really British man who says, you know, that Her Majesty's government is convinced that it's somewhere from Japan that these uh, rockets are coming from. A tracking station in Singapore reported faint echoes of this craft coming down in the Sea of Japan area. Might I suggest, gentlemen, that this is where you should concentrate your intelligence forces. The Prime Minister has asked me to assure you that this is what we propose to do. As a matter of fact, our man in Hong Kong is working on it now. And as like a 10-year-old or 11-year-old watching this, I thought, but Hong Kong's not in Japan. He's just on his way there. And he's just like on a like a stopover there on the, on his way to uh, to Japan. Because you can't get a flight all the way to Japan, can you? you have to, well, he uh, makes it sound like they've had some good times together, him and uh, Ling. We've had some interesting times together, Ling. I'd be sorry to go. Oh, that's true, yeah. Maybe he's just talking about like the previous five hours, like the layover. <laughs> I've said that like growing up, it was one of my favorites. And I think up until very, very recently, you might have still found it somewhere in my top five or six, perhaps. I mm. don't know. I don't know if it's still there. I think, no. you know, approaching it with a little bit more scrutiny for this episode. And I'm thinking, oh, like I'm noticing bits that like maybe I just ignored or, or, or didn't pay too close attention to, but I, there, it definitely raises a few questions here and there. Yeah, uh, and I, mean, I and I think Sean Connery's performance is starting to to wane a little bit at times. His interest is dropping quickly at this point in the yeah, series. I, this viewing that I've had most recently was the one where I've, where I've least enjoyed the film. Um, yeah, I remember what, before we did this, you told me that um, that you'd watch the film and you've changed your opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, like and I, said, I didn't know, I didn't know what your opinion was before that. Like, I couldn't remember where you'd ranked it previously, and I was like, "Well, did he used to love it and now he hates it, or did he used to hate it and now he loves it?" I didn't know. So, like, what was your opinion then? Until I, until used to really like it. I think it was uh, probably on a par with something like Goldfinger, um, a really enjoyable James Bond film. I think there's there's better films out there, but You Only Twice was a solid Bond movie, and for me, this out of the 
five films that we've reviewed so far in these podcasts, this was probably probably my least favorite of the Sean Connery Bond films. Uh, I know that will change, but um, it's funny oh. you say that because I listened to um, I listened to a couple of our old episodes recently, and in From Russia with Love and and Thunderball, mm. you both described them as your favorite current Sean Connery. Film. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it does change i know that and it changes for me too but um yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean and and the, as you were saying I've, I've when we've watched it again those little niggles have been more obvious to me in this viewing mm. uh, and i've kind of found it quite flawed in in that respect just because uh Maybe I'm looking out for these problems, but I, I, it, it kind of took away the enjoyment for me. And uh, I'm probably talk about those little niggles. Uh, I think the- part of it is just on the whole, everything feels a little bit derivative of itself. And the characterizations are pretty paper thin at times. Like there are characters in the film that you think, well, that is clearly you're like, you're, re- you're kind of recycling your own archetype now. Like Helga Brandt is, is clearly inspired by, Fiona Volpe, yeah, you know she has that same air about her. That she she looks quite similar, even down to like the reddish hair, and you can't help but feel like they were just sort of cherry picking from what they felt worked from previous films, even right down to like Blofeld's mute henchman Hans, who's completely throw away, but he seems to be kind of at least loosely based on Red Grant in the visual design of him mm, you know yeah. let's give him a towering blonde henchman and you know let's fiery redhead femme fatale and it, it's already at this point only five years into the series seeming to kind of be dipping back into its own bag of goodies to sort of shortcut its way to to certain archetypes i think yeah yeah no it's a good point i've never noticed that but you're uh, you're i think you, you are right there i should say that i don't think helga brandt is anywhere near as effective as Fiona Volpe. I know. I mean, I, I can never understand her. I mean, well, I mean, we can talk about her now if you want. Um, Go for it. Yes, that seems a natural so, progression. So she, she's meant to kill Bond, has an opportunity to torture him, but she's like, oh, actually, no, I want to I wanna snog you instead. And then they go on a plane to God knows where, and then she she decides, oh, actually, yeah, now this is a probably better way of killing you by locking you in a plane and then jumping out. And I don't get that method of thinking. Yeah, I I never can quite figure out whether her defection is ever real or whether it's yeah. all just. But like, I I kind of think that at times it is. Um, and we'll maybe come back to this, but I get the sense at this point particularly in the series, the producers perhaps, or whoever was involved behind the scenes was very much like, like almost more in love with Bond and Sean Connery than anyone else. And felt like everyone he encounters, every woman he encounters is seduced by him. Like no one is capable of resisting him. Uh, He doesn't really do much in this film to earn any of their admiration. Mm. It's just automatic. Like every time he meets a woman, they fall for him. Uh, And we'll come back to this when we talk about the other women in the film. But that makes me think that Helga's defection is supposed to be as a result of his charms, even though it comes and goes. And maybe it's just sort of a shortcutted way of kind of saying, oh, she's intriguing. Is she? Isn't she? It does. It just confuses you, though, because you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's not nearly as fleshed out as Fiona Volpe, the character who she so clearly is meant to be evocative of. Mm. And she amounts to very little beyond just jutting her chest out and kind of being seduced by Bond. And when you think back to Fiona, she does so much more than that. She truly leads the men around her like whipping angelo around you know she is like a general of that whole operation in that film yeah i mean but and she's so much more developed in thunderball Um, yeah and uh, and you know everything as a result of that uh, feels much more earned like the mm. comeuppance and the the twists and the turns you know they're, they're, they're less contrived because it feels like the film has gone out of its way to to develop this character before those moments happen the other women in this film, Aki and Kissy, 
I strongly believe that this film would be much better if they were one character, if it was Aki from the start to the end. Yeah. yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's that famous clip. I say famous. It's, fa- it's famous to Bond fans who've watched the special features on the DVD. There's that clip from the making of where uh, Roald Dahl is being interviewed, who wrote the screenplay. And he recounts a story where he was talking to the producers saying, right, what do I need? Uh, I need a, he needs a girl, doesn't he? He needs a girl to chase around and, and fall in love with, you know? And the producer's response to that apparently was, well, three would be better. And that in itself just kind of gives you all you need to know as to why these characters exist is because at that time, the studio or the producers felt like Bond should be this three women man. I really believe that they they felt like they were creating a boys fantasy movie. Mm. Yeah. Like every man wants to be Bond in this film because he puts no effort in and they throw themselves at him. Yeah. He's so kind of like he doesn't get he doesn't fight for them at all. He doesn't really even turn on the charm particularly. They just throw themselves at him. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I don't think I mean Kissy is useless. Like the story goes that they were allowed to film in Japan on the condition that they hire Japanese actors and actresses to play the parts of the Japanese characters. And the fact that even needs to be a condition of the contract is crazy. But that meant that they had to go on a search to find uh, Japanese actresses who could speak English. And the two that were chosen, uh, Akiko Wakabayashi and Mie Hammer, were basically sent to school to learn English. And apparently, like as the story goes, Mia Hammer found it much more difficult to grasp the language. And so they ended up swapping roles, which kind of just shows how interchangeable they are. Like they serve the same purpose, just one after the other. Yeah. And although I do quite like the scene where Aki is poisoned, I think it's quite well filmed. And I think, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think in that scene, you do feel the emotion of it but it's just like immediately after it's gone and it's never brought up again. And they're smiling and fighting with the ninjas and then they're off on their merry way. And she's just forgotten. And you just think it feels like she's been written out to make way for the next one. Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask me what I thought was the weakest part of the film, a lot of people would go, obviously, when Bond is turned to a Japanese man. No, we're not talking about that yet, James. We're okay, teasing. Okay, okay, okay. We're teasing. That's coming up later. Bond gets changed <laughs> into a Japanese man. Stay tuned to hear our thoughts. But um, for me, it's, it's how the Bond girls are, are represented in this film. And I think Aki is like, even though she's, she's perhaps more developed than Kissy is, even she, I don't think, is given any room for any development of a character. She just comes up, rescues Bond. And suddenly they're like best mates as if they've known each other for years. It's I like, really uh, don't understand that massage scene when she takes over from the masseuse and sort of, you know, surprises Bond and says, this time we shall finish it. And, and he's like, Aki. I'm like, is there a deleted scene where... It feels like there's something missing. Where they previously had a massage, but it was interrupted. And that's like a callback to it. There's, it doesn't make sense. No. Like, it's, like you say, like, it goes without saying that Kissy is given very little to do. She's not even named on screen like until the credits. But neither is Aki, really. Like there's a bit of intrigue at the start, but then she's just swept away. And I yeah. feel like if you kept it as her from the beginning, right through to the end, you could at least say, you know what, you've earned your little honeymoon frolicking around on that raft. You know, you've She's put in a lot of work if that was the same person from the beginning to the end, you know. Yeah. I suppose we can't really go on without discussing the Japanese disguise. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Bond goes to Japan to meet with uh, Tiger Tanaka, and his plan is what exactly? Like to – okay, let's get this out of the way. Tiger's plan is for Bond – to blend in as a Japanese fisherman and take a wife to solidify his cover to do what, James? Finish that sentence. To do um, some investigation um, into anybody that looks suspicious in the village. I have because, not seen... Like, because... Go on. 
Uh, Kissy has already shown him a picture, like those people in the village, of mm. what her, um, of what her husband looks like, and he's got this rubbishy little wig, and these uh, this, these dodgy prosthetics on, and. So they're going to have to make Sean Connery, James Bond, look like this person that she's already been showing the picture of. I feel there. like you're projecting a lot of this, James. Like, we don't get told or shown any of this. Listen, I don't agree with this either. But this is the <laughs> only explanation I could possibly think of. of something One so of my favourite pastimes, James, is to make you play devil's advocate and defend, <laughs> defend a scenario that you don't believe in. Um, so, yeah, what... <laughs> So he has to become Japanese. Yes. In <sighs> that scene, I felt like as a child, just I, I did not register the absurdity of it as an 11 year old. Like I do now watching it. And I think, what is going on? Like, I, don't... I, I, I used to hate it as a kid. I used to think, well, why, why are you doing this? Are you, oh, I don't watch ridiculous. it and think like that's so offensive. I watch no, it I, don't, and go, I don't think about that, no. I, I watch it and go, why does this need to happen? Yeah. He doesn't look like a Japanese person at the end of it at all. <laughs> like no. when he comes back into the, 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 the house where Aki is and he walks in and she, she wakes up to look at him. It's like this like hero shot where he kind of walks into a close like, up. Oh my god, he's different. And he pauses. And it's it's almost like pause for audience shock and awe. Like <laughs> are, are we meant to be blown away by the transformation at that point? Are we meant to go like, whoa? It's like it's like someone completely different. But I don't know about you, James, but I I, I was sat there thinking, like, what they've replaced Sean Connery. Who is this guy? <laughs> like <laughs> And there's that line when they're when they're transforming him, and you can't see this, but I used air quotes when I said <laughs> that. Um, where they where they discuss bleaching his chest hair, I believe, or or waxing it. They do mm. neither <laughs> from that following <laughs> shot. Like he just walks in unchanged. So for whatever reason, he changes into a Japanese man again. Air quotes. Um, quite why. They don't just use like if it's so important that it must be a Japanese man in this role, like why not use one of Tiger's many many agents to do this? Yeah. Or is yeah, this yeah. again just the uh, the kind of Western white male fantasy of like only Bond can save the world? Well, it can't have been that essential because like about. Five minutes later, it all comes off anyway when he jumps in the water. And it, it's back it, to normal Sean Connery. It's never convincing. It looks like he's sweating it off his face at times. <laughs> like it must have been hot anyway, but he just mm. looks unhealthy at times. He looks sweaty. The makeup and the wig make him look like ten years older. It does Connery no favors. And when it does come off, whether it's intentional or they just forgot it or gave up on it, because by the time he takes his astronaut spacesuit off later, it's gone. <laughs> I can only presume it's just sort of been ripped off in the helmet somewhere. But you think, oh, yeah, that's what his real, I say real, that's what his hairpiece looked like underneath. Like, he looks a lot younger when he's not in the makeup. But yeah. it's a scene that probably should never have happened. And... It will never not be strange to watch that, but um, I feel like this is a very easy film to pick apart and to ridicule and criticize. And I still, I feel the need to kind of constantly say, I do like this film. Yeah, I yeah, do well, like it. Well, let's move on to some of the the cool points. So um... Bond has that um, the little Nelly sequence where he surveys the landscape and he doesn't discover anything, um, which I used to love. I used to love that little Nelly scene. I think it's kind of ridiculous that he uses every single weapon on that thing, but um, <laughs> it is an iconic vehicle and it's, you know, real. And uh, I used to have a little airfix kit of it. And I spent yeah, yeah. many, many hours like painting and gluing together. So it's, uh, I, I do get kind of nostalgia with that scene. And it, uh, I, I actually really enjoy the kind of jump cut assembly shots that we get of it as Q's describing it. It's kind of quirky. It's like the way it looks like it puts itself together almost. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so then later on, they discover that the, the helicopter is going down into the crater of the volcano. 
and that's when we see that ludicrous kind of Doctor Evil esque hmm. um, hollowed out volcano lair. It's impossible to argue how impressive that set is. Yeah, I mean, when I rewatched it, that was one of the, my favorite parts. Really, was being able to see that. You know, it, it kind of made me realize how important physical sets are in films. Whereas nowadays, if you had a set like that, it'd all be CGI in the background, yeah. and it it just wouldn't have that the same effect and same wow factor as seeing something like that. And you know, it's real on screen like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a brilliantly larger than life uh, set, and it's hard to argue how ridiculous the premise is. You know, seeing the words hollowed out volcano lair with a rocket launching area and a helipad and a monorail. You know, I can't imagine anyone doing a better job than what Ken Adam did with that description, you know. James Bond, allow me to introduce myself. I am Ernst Stavro Blofeld. We come face to face with Blofeld at long last. Yes, we do. Uh, so, this is our first face-to-face ever with with Blofeld. So, what what's your f- opinion on Donald Pleasance's version of Blofeld? Well, because you only live twice was the first of the Connery Bonds I saw. It was also the first of the Blofeld Bonds I saw, and so I didn't get the years and years of wondering and speculating about who this man is i didn't get the intrigue building up to it i was just you know i watched that film at 11 years old and saw him and it was donald pleasance and then everyone else i'm like well that's not donald pleasance you know so i've gone back and forward in the past i think he is definitely the most iconic version of blofeld He's very Doctor Evil-esque. It's clearly the inspiration for that character with the scar yeah. and the suits yeah. and, and all that. Like many Bond fans will know that Donald Pleasance was a late replacement for a previous actor who was hired and did a few days filming. So he is the reason that the image of Blofeld is now a bold man because Donald Pleasance just happened to be bold. Yeah. So that made, that meant as a kid, when I went back and saw From Russia With Love and Thunderball, seeing him with hair in those over shoulder shots and stuff always threw me a little bit. Cause I was like, well, that's not, that's not Blofeld. Like Blofeld's bold. Ah, uh, you can see it's like almost thinking, ah, oh, they've made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously they hadn't, they hadn't cast him yet, but I've sort of since come around a little bit in my way of thinking, like to me, it used to be Donald Pleasance is Blofeld, but I don't know. I, to me now, I think Blofeld is the guy behind the screen in Thunderball. Like, yeah, his voice has a lot yeah. to do with why I prefer the earlier versions. Mm. And Donald Pleasance has it a little bit. He has the calmness to begin with, but then he, he doesn't have the gravitas or the sort of bassy baritone to his voice. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he'll just sort of shout, "Kill Bond now!" Kind of <laughs> kill Bond now. I just think he just immediately loses his power when he becomes like desperate like that. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine the Thunderball and From What You Would Love Blofeld saying those he's, lines? No, because he's so Couldn't. in control. Yeah, he would yeah, never yeah. even get his hands dirty. Just yeah. sit back and go, kill Bond. <laughs> yeah. Watching this film this time round, I started to kind of create my own kind of headcanon for these films where, I mean, I'm generally not a fan of fan theories particularly. I I think they're usually wrong and you should usually just go with what the films tell you. Um, there are some that I can get behind if, if they're kind of incidental things. Like, I'm quite happy to to believe that Admiral Hargreaves is M later on, for instance. You know? <laughs> but don't get don't come at me with any kind of code name stuff about Bond or or, yeah. or anything more significant than that. But watching you only twice, I felt better about the character if I thought the Blofeld from from Russia with Love and Thunderball is still there behind the scenes. We have like an in-universe precedent in Diamonds Are Forever for the fact that Blofeld uses doppelgangers. Yeah, yeah. And so I like to believe in my own headcanon, if it works, if it makes sense, until it's contradicted perhaps, the the Charles Gray, the Telly Savalas, and the Donald Pleasance Blofelds are also not the number one Blofeld. Right. 
They're people who've never met each other. You know, this person is going to be me in this country on this operation. This person is going to be me in this operation. That they've all got, you know, they've all got a direct line to the big yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. They just call themselves Blofeld. And it and it adds to this mysterious yeah. kind of. I thought he died, but he's not. Yeah. And so Bond keeps coming across different versions of them and going like to Bond, they're all Blofeld because he doesn't know any other name to use for them. Yeah, no, no, I like this theory. It also makes sense because the Telephus Tavalis Blofeld doesn't recognise Bond when he comes face to face with him, even though yeah. um, I mean, they met and you only live twice. It brings to mind kind of real world parallels to like Saddam Hussein who had like doubles. And I don't know, I, I just like this idea. And, I, and like I say, I wouldn't push it on anyone else because I know I'm reaching and I know I'm hypocritical in saying this because i don't generally like fan theories that undo what we're told in a film hmm. but i don't it think it sense. does undo i think it works with what information we are given particularly yeah. with yeah, yeah. diamonds are forever because i've always used the fact that in diamonds are forever blofeld has doubles of himself yeah, and he's yeah, going yeah. through that plastic surgery procedure i've always used that as an explanation about how his appearance has changed so yeah. i just think it's one step further than that and and that he's constantly changing his appearance and so like it's like almost like a spider diagram of like the diamonds are forever charles gray blofeld has now created his own set of doppelgangers for himself yeah in that yeah, film yeah. and then we get one loose one in for your, for your eyes only who's exactly uh, yeah yeah i think the loose one in for your eyes only is the telly savalas one Ah, yes. Yeah, in, he's in got the, the, neck uh, the, brace. the neck brace. That's right, yeah. This yeah. makes sense to me. It does, yeah. Doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I like the idea that the real guy, you know, the guy with hair behind the screen, the... Oh, God, I keep thinking of Inspector Gadget. I'm getting confused with that guy. But, you know, <laughs> that guy is back behind the scenes, calmly pulling the strings. And yeah. the only people who yeah. deal with him directly are the people like Largo, and uh Cleb and Cronstein. Yeah, yeah. And the after those after those escapades, perhaps after Thunderball, Blofeld says, I need to branch out and distance myself. Yeah. Because they're getting yeah. too close. No, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Which is we we almost had like a little mini Blofeld episode in the middle of this. But... <laughs> we'll revisit this in another episode and explain. I like I like more. it as an idea. Yeah. And I like I, I think it takes the pressure off any one individual performance of Blofeld of going like, well, I can't imagine him doing all that stuff though. I can't imagine Donald Pleasance going down a bobsleigh track, or I can't <laughs> imagine it being Telly Savalas behind that screen in Thunderball. If we dropped the screen down, would it be him? No. Cause he's like this kind of American gangster in that film. And yeah. it makes much more sense that it actually is just this kind of weird hive mind kind of thing going on where they're all just, tentacles of the big octopus you know yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good good i can get behind this one anyway what we're we talking about you only live twice <laughs> i mean we have skipped quite a bit of the film haven't we really like kobe docks and well i mentioned yeah. in the um hall of fame episode that i put that shot of uh, kobe docks yeah, in yeah, i should yeah. put that i put that shot in the hall of fame before i rewatched the film for this episode and i was like oh it's short than i remember <laughs> <laughs> i stand by it i still like it i still like the shot i like this i love the score in that scene um and i think that is one of the highlights for me the um the, the first hour in general but his little kind of clue gathering mission of sort of tracing down these chemicals and yeah i mean to be honest there's not actually much action in that first uh in that first hour really i mean there's no. a bit of a car chase where he gets magnetized and gets taken off but it is really more about him just like uh him, him investigating yeah that just reminds me there's there's a little kind of game I started playing watching this film of like how many times I could say the words, who's filming this? <laughs> but I told you the last time that we did this, that is another helicopter filming the right. car being picked up. So when, uh, when Bond is watching the helicopter pick up the car with the magnet, yeah, Tiger Tanaka also sent another helicopter out yeah, to, so film, there's two helicopters, to yeah. film the first helicopter. Yeah. And then, and then they got a cameraman on the other helicopter to point the camera down to where the uh, 
the car landed when they drop it into the water. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the cameraman on the uh, on the helicopter that's fallen. Okay then, I'll I'll bite. Go on then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about the one in space, James? Well, you see, there's a there's when a satellite Bond is watching <laughs> when Bond is watching the the, the 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 ship open up and about to swallow up the the other capsule. Yes. So there's a satellite that's got a camera fixed on it, and the space rocket has actually happened to be moving past the satellite with the camera on. <laughs> As it's getting taken, it's like watching a fish try and flop its way back into the sea. <laughs> You're just floundering around there, James. Yep, yep. And and uh, it, it it gets different angles as well. This satellite too, you know. So you get some uh, some point of view shots too. Wow. <laughs> I do feel like we are skipping over large parts of this film. Uh, I think one of the one of my other good points of the um, of the film, though, I know you might have briefly mentioned it, was um, the score. It's probably one of the best John Barry scores perhaps out there. I think it might just be John Barry's best to that point. You know, I like from Russia with Loves. This is not brassy and sexy in the same way that that was, but it's kind of exotic and um, beautiful at times. Yeah. Quite a nice theme song as well by Nancy Sinatra. You know, the, the, the stories go, they love to tell these stories about how it was pieced together with like 25 takes and stuff because she was nervous and she couldn't sing much of it at any, any one time or whatever. But who cares? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, these podcasts um... are pieced together by like <laughs> 25 <laughs> different recordings usually. But it's yeah, what it's, you it's, end it's, up it's, with that matters, like... isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a bit like the score, though. It's a bit it's a bit different than what's come before it, and uh, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I think it was the right step because if you think about what the themes we'd had before, really, we'd had two very bold, brassy ones. You could argue that Thunderball was kind of trying to recreate what Goldfinger created. This kind of broadened that horizon, I think, to have different styles of songs in the Bond themes. I think if we hadn't had You Only Live Twice, we might have ended up with just versions of Thunderball and Goldfinger for the next 10 years. So if I were to say a high point for me, I think it is the first half of it. I guess if I can name that much of it. as I love the parts of him going to Japan for the first time. I like the films where there's a mystery for Bond to solve. And um, I think it becomes a cartoon, particularly towards the end. Yeah, my, my high point, it probably is, is on a similar level to you, is just that investigation and where he has to sneak into Osato and then he has to revisit it. I just like that whole undercover situation that he has to do in order to try and find out what's going on. Mm. So, yeah. Low point, James? Low point. Uh, it's got to be one of the things we touched upon, I think. Yeah, I, I, I would have to say, especially in this last viewing, the low point was the underdevelopment of the the Bond girls in the uh, in the film. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd think, given how we've hyped it up as this massive big deal, you would imagine that we were both going to say it's that Japanese transformation scene. And yeah. while that is unforgivable and should not have happened... Yeah, I mean, I've never liked the Japanese transformation at all, but I've kind of just come to accept that's part of the film. I, I find the Bond girls more of a pain it's kind of been a new low point that's been introduced to me in the most recent rewatch i've had what would you do to fix this film or to improve it um other than get rid of that japanese transformation i think you're right i think uh you need you need an extra couple of scenes with aki before she uh she meets him in the massage room scene then you could probably introduce kissy if you wanted to or you could do what you said no i say don't do it. One. yeah don't kill her off. Don't introduce yep. Kissy at all. Have Aki play a, a much bigger part from beginning to end and, you know, earn our respect and earn Bond's affections and respect as well, hopefully. Um, yeah. And, you know, create one fully rounded character rather than two compromised non-characters. Yeah. Helga Brandt could just go all together as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. If you're not going to do more with her, she serves no purpose. Yeah, she's just there to look weak. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, when she gets fed to the piranhas, and um, yeah, yeah, the way the film presents it, it's because she couldn't resist Bond. That's why yeah. that happened. Yeah, so she deserved to get eaten. 
No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, ultimately, more recently, I find Blofeld's reveal and his characterization a little bit of an anticlimax, particularly if you watch them from the start. I just mm. think, unless you go with my now canon fan theory, I just think it's less than it could have been. There's a lot of sort of very paper-thin, throwaway stuff in the film that's just kind of added, almost because the writer feels like it should be there. Yeah. And I think maybe it just goes back to, you know, that same conversation of Roald Dahl asking, you know, asking the producers what he should put in the script. It does feel like Roald Dahl's been given the first four films and said, well, watch these. Yeah. And he's gone, yeah. right. Okay, well, how about this bit from that? A bit of Red Grant, but we won't give him anything to do. We'll just put him in the background. It's one of those moments now where I have to remind the listener once again, I do like this film. <laughs> It's very easy to notice problems with it, I think. I feel like I'm defending it with my heart more than my head sometimes. <laughs> that wraps up our conversation on You Only Live Twice. Hopefully, James, your recording has actually worked this time. Fingers crossed. It did not. James's recording corrupted again. Luckily, Simon, the smarter of the two men, suggested they record a backup of their discussion, which is what you have been listening to. If you have any complaints about the audio quality of this episode, please address them directly to James, at TPM007 on Twitter. Thank you. Let's not talk about what just happened, James. <sighs> I'll try not to. Let's play Games with James! Games with James. Games with James. Okay, James, you are the head of an evil organization. Oh, okay. You have to assemble your team. Okay, my team of henchmen and fellow villainy. Yes. You have okay. 20 to choose from, but only 10 places on your team. Okay. I'm going to give you the names of these candidates. However, each of them has been given a uh, perhaps unfortunate caveat. Okay. You have ten spots to fill. If you veto the first ten, you will automatically have to accept the final ten. Oh, okay. So, James, your first candidate for your first spot on the uh, evil... T What's your evil organisation called, James? Oh, I came up with one last time, wasn't it? It was like a terrible Turner's team wasn't it? it terrible turner's team i think yeah. it was terrible turner's terrorist team oh yeah that's it that's <laughs> it terrible turner's terrorist team yeah you're sticking with 40s. that huh? i mean you've got yeah. an opportunity right now to change that but you're going with the 40s the 40s yeah 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 <laughs> I, I do you not think that's a good name the 40s the 40s, the 40s yeah the 40s the 40s i D -D -D -D. smell a franchise waiting to happen <laughs> here is your first pick Brad Whitaker. Okay, okay. But they can't tell friend from foe. I mean, I, I've never liked Brad Whitaker anyway, so the fact that he can't tell friend from foe, I think he'd be a bit useless. That's a liability, the, uh, isn't it? <laughs> he'd walk in and get startled and just shoot someone. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want that. Oh, you could be killing some of my top villains. So, uh, so no, 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 he's not coming fair on. Fair enough. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's fair. That's one down. Okay, next one. Knickknack, but only you can see or hear them. <laughs> only I can see or hear him. I think that's a good quality to have uh, because he could, you know, if I want, it, want him to be uh, to break into somewhere, nobody will be able to see him apart from me, obviously, and he can get me all the stuff that I need. And because he's small, he'll be able to go in pretty much most places that I need to get. And he's the ideal person to have that quality. True. True. I mean, on face value, I hear it and I go, well, that's ridiculous. People will think you're crazy, but it wouldn't take much to convince them, surely. And I could also pretend I've got, like, godlike powers. It's like, oh, I'm using the force or something like that. And I'm like, Ugh. and then, like, no, a... no, James, you're an, e you're an evil genius, remember? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You can do more than so... just impress your friends at a party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, so, yeah, he's coming on the team. Bring him on. Welcome to the team, Nat. Okay. So you've got one on your team, you've got nine spots to fill. Okay. I Next. think that was a good good recruitment, that one. Yeah, yeah, you're after a strong start. Next up, <laughs> Blofeld's cat, but they're covered in poisonous spikes. 
Hmm. Now that could be a good one because he, you know, like you have like a a piranha pool or something like that. Instead of that, I've got like a spiky cat that you know, it, when a good guy tries to thwart my plan, I just throw him into uh, <laughs> my cat uh, my cat pen. Or my, Your cat, cat pen. My cat pen. Yeah. Throw them in the cat pens. Throw them to the cat. There is a chance that it would just rub up to your leg or something. Well, I'd have to st- like restrict the cat to the pen. It's basically like a, a little mini Jurassic Park area where you know, don't feed the animals and you know. Sure, it uh, seems a little inhumane, but I mean, you're an evil terrorist, yeah, so I can do what I want. <laughs> but should I really be restricting my other candidates for a cat? I can't believe you're even considering taking a cat as one of your candidates. Oh, sure, that's it. Yeah. So, so no, I'll I'll say no to the cat for now. Although that would have been a good villain. <laughs> okay. Jaws. Jaws. But they're always drooling. I would expect Jaws to drool anyway yeah. if uh, someone had metal teeth like that. He probably is anyway, isn't he? He's probably slobbering yeah. everywhere, the mouth that he's got a hold in his mouth at any time. I mean, yeah. his mouth is probably awful inside. Like, just ulcers Ma- and yeah, yeah. halitosis, probably. <laughs> I think people would get used to it. Yeah, I think you'd say, well, oh, he's the guy with metal teeth. Of course he's drooling. (laughs) They won't be calling him drooler or something like that. Or, hey, where's drooler? We wouldn't dare, would you? I mean, it goes without saying, these these characters are all loyal to you, unless unless it says otherwise. I mean, Brad Whitaker might be a bit of a liability if you can't tell (laughs) who's friend and who's foe. But they they are loyal to you as your henchman. So you wouldn't have to worry about Jaws being a threat to you. Or anything. Let's let's bring Jaws on board. I think that's a good choice. I think it's good. Okay. Next up is Mishka and Grishka. Oh, yeah, cool. But they come with half-witted clones of themselves that keep trashing the place. (laughs) Half-witted clones of themselves? Yeah, so you would have Mishka and Grishka and... Another two Mishka. And their clones. Yeah, like Moshka and Groshka or something. (laughs) But just, like, clumsy and... Stacking over things. <laughs> I'll t- tell you what. We'll we'll say no to him for now. Wow, you had the opportunity to take four people in one spot. Yeah, but I, I don't want the, two of those people to be the Chuckle Brothers. So I can't <laughs> that's, just. That's want... exactly what I was picturing. <laughs> <laughs> so I I, uh... I just imagined you'd you know you'd you'd lock them up somewhere or you'd put them to work in some like rubber room where they can't do any damage. <laughs> they'll just be the, uh, the handymen they just they just clean the rubbish up around the uh, my villain's lair so uh, so you're not going to go for them I feel like I want to see what the other candidates are I might regret this decision you know you can't hold them till later James you take them now or you lose them yeah I'm going to lose them okay <clears throat> Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid okay. but they are toddlers <laughs> oh god I should have taken Michigan and Grishka after all um what, what what's the point? It's not a crash. We're not uh, we're not babysitters in our organisation. There's no room for babies. Fair so. enough. I agree. Nope. Next up, Zhao. Okay. But they explode if they touch metal. See, I imagine my villain's lair would consist of quite a lot of metal, so that might be quite a problem. Yeah, it's a bit of a walking time bomb, isn't he? I mean, yeah. Just yeah. You know, no. you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel relaxed around the guy. So no, no, not for me. Okay, Elliot Carver, but they're only a talking brain in a jar. <laughs> See, when he said Elliot Carver, I was like, oh, that's not going to be good. Uh, what, what, what's he going to bring? But the fact that he's a talking brain in a jar, I think he could be like a good little uh, advice. Yeah, I mean, he's not the most physical of villains anyway, is he? No. He has Stamper do his, his hard work for him, really. If it was someone like Oddjob, but he's only a talking brain in a jar... <laughs> You'd be like, great, a brain that goes, ha <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But I think Elliot Carver makes sense to be a yeah, brain in a jar. Yeah, because he's more an intellectual villain anyway, so he could still yeah. probably help with your, your plotting yeah, yeah. and stuff. So he, you, yeah, you... He, he could be like my uh, second opinion on things. So um, so yeah, no, let's, let's, let's bring him on board, Mr. Elliot Carver in a jar. Yeah, and if you don't agree with him, you just put a sheet over the jar. Yeah, 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 just, just put the lid on. <laughs> Put the lid on. <laughs> I always imagined it would have a lid, James. I wasn't imagining him kind of just like hanging over the edge of the jar, like, "Hey, what's happening?" 
<laughs> how would I be able to hear him? That's the thing. Well, he's got us, you know, some speakers rigged. Oh, what do you mean? How do you? A brain doesn't have a mouth, James. Well, I'm imagining this one has eyes and a mouth. And it's just like <laughs> just like plonked on his brain, and it just speaks. It's like, no, I Hello. was picturing like a brain with like wires linked up to it and sensors and speakers. Okay. You know. Okay, right, got you. Okay, next up, Elvis from Quantum. Okay. But they keep patting you on the backside inappropriately. I would have liked to have brought Elvis on board, but I think if he's just touching my bum all the time, I think it's just going to look a bit weird in front of all the other villains. I thought you would just say no as soon as I said his name. No, uh, no. Just sidles alongside you and just, just gently touches you and says, what a wonderful night. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's a no then, is it? That's a no no. So how many how many places have we got left? You've said yes to three of them, James. Okay. Um and you've got eleven to go. Okay. Irma Bunt from okay. Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. Uh but she can't control her bowels, James. <laughs> nope. Nope. Next one, please. <laughs> okay. Um next up is Goldfinger. But they're always screaming. I don't know about this one. Um, nah, I don't. I don't see any opportunity for him here. It'd wear um, a bit thin, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would. <laughs> okay, next up is Xenia on a top. Okay, this could be good. But they're the size of a house. Well, she does crush people with her thighs. She so does. So imagine the force of. Of what those thighs would do if she was the size of a house. James, I'm already imagining it. Yeah, I, I can picture it now. It'd be like Godzilla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's bring her on board, yeah. Okay, a uh, bit of an odd one next. Mm-hmm. A pool of piranhas, uh, but they are 90 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what age piranhas actually no, stay alive. Some still, fish can so. live quite a while, but I don't think they would live yeah. to ninety. No, I don't know no. what that would mean for the piranhas if they were just like blind with no teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say maybe yes, but the fact that I said no to a spiky Blofeld cat makes this a bit pointless. I would rather have had Blofeld's spiky cat. So, um, so, so no to the piranhas. Though. Okay, you have got one refusal left. Oh God! You've right, got okay. seven to choose from, and you can only say no to one of them. Damn it, I should should have had Mishka and Grishka. Yep. Next up is Sanchez, but they only speak in bad puns. Well, I can't say no to that. I think that would be uh, quite funny sometimes. You know, just bring, bring a bit of a, of a lighter great. mood. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be quite funny. Like, oh, you Sanchez. Yeah, yeah. He's still as Sanchez. effective as, as ever, still the same villain as he was, just yeah. only speaks in puns. Good, yep. Red Grant... Okay. But they're easily distracted by everything around them. Oh, I don't know what's coming up. That's the thing. I'd say <laughs> no to that. But I feel like I have to say yes. Um, we'll, we'll just shove him in uh, in HR and he, he can do some stuff. He, he, he can mop the floors. In fact, he can mop the floors. Get him to clean the... Clean. One of the franchise's best villains. <laughs> and making him mop the floors. <laughs> And he, someone needs to do it, okay? And I suppose if he's like just distracted all the time with just like his attention span, be halfway through garroting someone and just go like, "Hang on, what? What am I doing? How do I get be here?" Useless at that, but I feel like it, it, it can't be that difficult to mop the floor. Are you so. taking him just because you're afraid of what's coming? Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> all so, right. Uh, okay. He's on the team. Okay. Uh, next up is Renard. All right. Feels no pain. Okay, good. But they're constantly, constantly playing Wonderwall on the guitar. Now we need some entertainment. Would it get a bit annoying after it a while? It wouldn't be entertaining, James, after. No. I mean, when is it ever entertaining? He's basically a hipster student, that one guy at the party, but he's there all the time. Just when you're trying to plan a meeting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Red Grant being assigned to... <laughs> if Red Grant's been assigned to mop duties, I can't really assign somebody like that to anything else. So I'm going to have to say no to this one, which means I'm going to have to say yes to all the others, aren't I? You're saying no? 
I'm saying no. You're going to say no to Renard just because you don't like Oasis. <laughs> I don't mind the song. I think it's an alright song. I just don't think I want to hear it every single minute I talk to him. Well, you know what this means, James? It means that you have to take the next four. Four, are they? God damn it. I'm going to have to, aren't I? Let's go for it. Your next mandatory pick. I love okay. how every one of these you're just like trying to put in a cupboard somewhere or <laughs> fob off with some job that you don't want. It's wanna... only Red Grant. It's only Red Grant. He's the only the one that's been fobbed off. The other ones, you know, they've all got good duties to get to on the tops, you know, yeah, out there in fine. the field. Okay, your next uh, your next mandatory hiring is Vargas okay. from Thunderball, but they only speak in offensive accents. We're bad guys. It's not going to offend anybody. So, yeah, fine, bring him on board. He doesn't say much anyway, does he? Yeah, he's he, quite when quiet. He does, when, when he does, does it's, it's an accent that shouldn't be used anymore. Yeah, okay. And you're being like, oh, someone tell him. But he can't yeah. be told. He can't be told. He can't be told, but, you know, we're bad guys at the end of it. You know, we're, we're doing worse than dodgy accents. So, you're, yeah, okay, well, you've got to take him, so he's on your team. Yep. Um, okay, next up is... Fiona Volpe, but they're only six inches tall. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I can't really say no, can I? But uh, she has a she she can go with knickknack. <laughs> I reckon she'd be just as effective as she is in Thunderball. I I, I still yeah, think that she yeah, would yeah. have the authority over most of the people in the organisation. Yeah, yeah. It'll be, she'll be like Ant Man. Like, I, st- uh, I still wouldn't want to get on a bad side. No, no, no. She, you know, she could just. Uh, Sneakily put like a poison pill somewhere and he wouldn't know about it. And she yeah. was like, You could send her in the post places, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Fly no, her in on a drone. She would, <laughs> she would definitely have her uses. So, uh, no, I'll hope for that. Yeah. Yep. Okay, next up is Odd Job, but they are a vampire. That's well cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Odd Job is a vampire. Happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I've made the right choice here, other than I don't know who this last person will be, but yeah. I do. Oh, God. Right, here we go. Your next pick, James, that you have to take is a double-taking pigeon. Okay. God damn it, I should have taken the cat. <laughs> I would have taken Renard over a cat, personally. <laughs> the double-taking pigeon. Oh, this, this doesn't sound good. A double-taking pigeon who keeps telling strangers your plans. Oh, God damn it. What, can pigeons talk? This one can, James. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> we just have to keep it on a, on a leash and, you know, only let it fly around in the villain's lair. Um, yeah, but it keeps telling strangers, James. That's the caveat. So it would yeah, find... It it would find no, it would find a way because that is its attribute here. It would text. Yeah, it, would, it would vlog. Oh, I can't say no to it, can I? But uh, got a little vlogging pigeon in the background, just double taking. <laughs> uh, after it makes its first mistake, I'd kill it and eat it. I'm You'd wait one. for it to make a mistake. That's honourable of you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd give it a chance. <laughs> All right. So just to recap, James, we'll go through your through yeah. your team, through the yeah. the team of terrible turners, terrorist team. So uh, first up, we had Knickknack. But he only you could see or hear them. He'd be the the, the, the robber. He'd be the thief. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Jaws, but he's always drooling. Elliot Carver, but he's just a talking brain in a jar. Yeah. Uh, Xenia Onetop, but she's the size of a house. Uh, Sanchez, but they only speak in bad puns. Red Grant, but they're easily distracted by everything around them. Cleaner. Just cleaner. <laughs> Vargas, but they only speak in offensive accents. Yeah, he's the negotiator. So, uh, <laughs> so when when there's something going on in the world and they want to know that we're bad, and they're like, oh god, these guys mean business. Yeah. Okay. Next up was Fiona Volpe, but she's six inches tall. Yeah, stealthy stuff. Uh, odd job, but he's a vampire. Yeah, he, he'd be out on the, in the field, you know, flying to places, biting people, killing people. Yeah, he, he's, he's the assassin. Yep. And finally, the double-taking pigeon who just can't stop telling strangers your plans he'd just be in a birdcage he's live streamed constantly he's um, got a constant live stream and he just tells them everything what, what can I say he'll, uh, <laughs> he'll, he's just going to have to end up on the barbecue or I tell you uh, what you can say James is that you should have picked Mishka Grishka and their twins yes both <laughs> <Paul Fels> cat <laughs> no, no never <laughs> like that was never the right choice 
All right, there you go, James. That was your team. Are you happy with your lineup? I can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think regrets, other than the but... double taking pigeon, uh, that would have been all right. All right, that was games with James. Games with James. There we go. That was our You Only Live Twice episode. So we'll be back soon with episode 12. I say soon. It could be like last time when it was like one episode a year. Hopefully not. I'm hoping, James. This is my plan. I want to get to Roger Moore's films this year. I think it's doable. I think we can do it. That's seven more episodes, James. Well, including this one. Six more after this. We can do that. It's 12 months in a year. I mean, obviously we're down nearly two but you know it's gonna take just a little bit more commitment from you james i can do off gallivant in the world flaunting the lockdown rules (laughs) (laughs) all right so until then please do get in touch uh to let us know if you've been listening you can get in touch with us on facebook twitter and instagram at bonjamcast you can send us an email if you want we probably won't read it but you can at bonjamcast at gmail.com and please do leave a review slash rating on your platform of choice. And uh, until next time, don't forget to spread that jam. Spread that jam, everybody. And see you later. What, how do I say it? Cheerio. Cheerio. There we go. <laughs>